Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So today we are going over the Torah reading called uh, Vayetze. And Vayetze covers uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, and goes through chapter 32, verse 2. And as noted here, you can find the previous studies that we've done on this at uh, halal.info slash P7. That's like parasha 7 or portion 7. So halal.info slash P7. And again, you can watch uh, this study and uh, a few that we've done in the past few weeks at halal.info slash services replay. So, before we get going too much uh, further into the study and open up with prayer, Father God, we thank you so much for giving us your words. We thank you for giving us the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the words of your Son. And we thank you for the words of his servants. We thank you for giving us all these blessings and for giving us the spirit to help us understand and to remember. We thank you for all these things in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. Just a bit of a recap of the things that we have covered in this particular section. This is continuing on for what we've seen in the previous section. So, continuing on with that passage. So, we've gone from uh, confrontation with Esau. Now, Yaakov is fleeing. So, you've got the first part of it being this ladder between heaven and earth. You've got the meeting between Yaakov, meeting Rachel. You've got a section there where Laban is uh, duping Yaakov. So, the 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 heel, the one who known as the deceiver, being deceived into working for fourteen years for Rachel uh, after he thought he was only going to perhaps work for seven. And then you have a section in there where Leah and Rachel are having the battle of the babies between uh, where whether they were going to get babies or not, and. You hear the the anguish coming from Leah about being the the one not liked, you know, the the wife of the duping, the wife of the deception, uh, married to the deceiver. Kind of an interesting turn turnabout of 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 uh, circumstances there. Then you have the incident there where uh, Yaakov is uh, doing a. a Sort of a deception of his own, but he's got a heavenly, um, heavenly direction in doing his artificial selection for his form of his payment back. And then you have the last part where Yaakov is fleeing and Laban overtakes him, and you have this oath being told yet again. So, just a bit of a note, uh, we've already covered some major themes in this already, just uh, noting some of these again. 
uh, one of which uh, at halal.info slash p7, you'll find one that's called, uh, titled, Messiah Seeks uh, the Lost Sheep of Israel. And that was one where he went over a section there in Matthew 10, Matthew 15, talking about the lost sheep of Israel and how this account of the... Um, the the livestock and the artificial selection that uh, was passed along the this knowledge of uh, genetics to to um, Yaakov where he could get his um, larger part of the flock and the parallels that we see that in the story of Messiah in that regard and another uh, key one that we've talked about before. Uh, you can also find it at the same link. It's uh, titled, Underestimating the Strength of the, quote, Weak, unquote. And that is a section where we looked at uh, the the parable, the, the prophecy, the, the, the vision that Yaakov received when he was sleeping. It's commonly called Jacob's Ladder, this ladder between heaven and earth. And we looked at how that's quoted there in the Gospels where uh, you saw that uh, Yeshua was talking to uh, Nathaniel and uh, said that, um, gave him a prophetic vision of uh, Nathaniel there uh, praying under a tree. And then he, Yeshua gave the, you know, the prophetic connection between the story of Jacob's ladder and uh, himself as being the ladder between heaven and earth. And yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting thing because this is something that you see in a lot of, um, of uh, Jewish uh, interpretation and the rabbinical comments going back a long ways over hundreds of years uh, about this connection of uh, Jacob and the Jacob's ladder between heaven and earth and the connection there seen with the um, Messiah being a key part of this connection. There's also some of the commentaries talk about um, Sinai being the the connection because of the, the reference to the altar there at the at the base of it. So setting up the altar there, and so you have the connection of Sinai being the connection between heaven and earth. And some other people over time have also seen the interesting connection between Jacob's ladder. It's this ladder going um, with Yaakov there at the base of it, going up into heaven, and then the messengers of God going up and down across that. They also see, well, it's a very interesting parallel to the uh, Tower of Babel, Babel, as being that man's effort to build this tower that reached up into heaven. And uh, that was said, no, that's not the way that uh, heaven and earth are going to intercede by this, you know, this man's effort to do so with, as, as you see in the connection of that account back earlier in Genesis, that it was not an, not a, an effort that was undertaken with heaven's blessing. And so you get this grandiose structure of the ziggurat or some sort of, um, of pyramid like, or as you see in a lot of depictions, maybe it was a circular, uh, look like a, like a birthday cake sort of approach with a ramp 
going all the way up into the sky, various approaches of renditions of what that might look like. You see some renditions if you've ever been down to Mexico and seen some of the, like the um, uh, Temple of the Sun or in some of the smaller temples there. Those are similar to what they find historically in the ziggurats of uh, Mesopotamia. So, haven't you seen pictures or if you've been to those those uh, temples in Mexico, you'll see that they've got the staircase. So you get the staircase also heading on up to the the altar at the top of the of the pyramids. So various attempts by people on Earth to reach toward heaven. Yet this picture is seen that Yaakov being key to this connection between heaven and earth. And this is something that is not a grandiose structure that man creates, but this is something that uh, God is creating there, this connection between heaven and earth. So fitting that you have uh, Yaakov being, you could say, one fulfillment of this connection between heaven and earth. Of uh, The people, uh, Yaakov, his name changed to Yisrael. So, Yisrael itself being this connection between heaven and earth. And you see that expressed like in Exodus chapter 19, where after the the people are taken out of the house of bondage and they're brought to the mountain. You're seeing one of the key reasons for doing this is this, uh, you know, Lord saying that you will be a people for myself, this royal priesthood, that you will be this connection. You will be the ministers, the interceders between heaven and earth. So you see that continued to be worked out. So thus, when you take that extended out further, the quintessential servant of the Lord, the quintessential uh, Israel being in the Mashiach, the key between heaven and earth. So thus you see that this picture uh, fits quite perfectly as a unfolding of heaven's mission all the way from the beginning parts of the story, that there was going to be this thing, this key connection between heaven and earth would be something that the Lord would build. It wouldn't be something done out of human effort. Because you see even in later times when even a grand artifice of the various temples there in Yerushalayim were built, if the presence of the Lord was not there, what, as, as it was called there in, in Shiloh, at one point, the glory has departed. So, when the glory departs, uh, what happens to the building? Uh, the building comes down in some time thereafter. So, interesting pictures that you have of this connection between heaven and earth, between Yaakov, between Israel proper as the people, and the quintessential um, people of Israel exemplified in the Mashiach, the Messiah. So, one of the other things that will kind of give us a picture of what we're going to look at going further is um, someone has noticed uh, a chiasm in this whole passage that we're, we're looking at today of Vayetzi. And uh, chiasm is a literary structure that the, the term chiasm comes from the letter chi, or we call it X. And the idea, kind of like with the X, is that you have ideas top and bottom that match each other. 
and those ideas match each other going in towards a goal and they have different ways that they're constructed the the hebrew term for this structure uh is atbash which is a uh, Hebrew acronym, uh, just basically relating how the structure looks like. You know, the Aleph and the Tav being the beginning and the end, so those two match together. And then the Beit and the Sheen together, so you've got the second and then the second from the last match together. So you're going to get this picture of uh, these couplets of ideas uh, together. And so in this particular um, reading of Vayetzi, we can see that uh, there appear to be some connections. Uh, you probably noticed those that as we were going along, that you see ideas that keep repeating over and over again. You know, for example, they're right in the, in the beginning of the passage of Vayetzi today. You see Yaakov uh, leaves for Haran and then he encounters angels. And then he names the place. And you see that at the end of the passage we were just looking at, where he calls it uh, Mahanaim or, the, or the, the, the place of the camps. Now, the interesting thing that we see is, and you see it as we go through this particular chiasm, this atbash of this particular passage, that there is a progression in development and a change within Yaakov and a change within his character from the beginning and the end. And that is reflected in these uh, couplets of ideas in between. For example, you know, when Yaakov comes in, he's headed towards Haran. He's basically got nothing. And yet when he's leaving Haran and he's headed back to his, uh, back to the, the, the place of his father, and you see ultimately heading towards Esau, we'll see in the next passage that we're going to encounter next week, he's got lots of stuff. He's got a family, he's got um, all of these livestock, great wealth, and yet you see the encounter with the angels is more horizontal versus in the beginning part with the ladder, it was vertical, now it's horizontal. So you get this, this picture uh, connection between heaven and earth coming down, and then now he, as being blessed, is now to spread out and work within the area that he's in. Now, going up to the beginning part of the of the next uh, section down, or the next parallel, you get the pillars. You see a pillar at the beginning there in Genesis twenty eight verses eighteen through twenty one, and you see a pillar at the end, uh, Genesis thirty one forty three through fifty five. So, two different accounts of what these pillars are about. And the first pillar is marking this covenant that between heaven and earth, not the official sort of carving of the covenant that you have where like the, the Ten Commandments or that kind of a, a cutting into rock with the finger of God, sort of a cutting of a covenant. But you have this, this agreement where the Lord is saying, I'm going to do this for you and you will be this. And so down at the end, you see this acknowledgement from <laughs> the, the family, from the family of Yaakov that, okay, yes, this is going to be the way that this has worked. And at least you say verbally expressed by Laban uh, that uh, the Lord is the one who brought this blessing in. It wasn't just a robbery of Laban. It was actually the blessing that came in, that that's what made the difference. 
So you see that this foundation was going to be a blessing from heaven to earth through the the family, first through Avraham, then through Yitzhak, and now through Yaakov into the whole world. And you go back to the beginning part of the uh, parallel. You've got the section there related to uh, tithe. You had the promise of the, the tithe that he was going to uh, give a tenth of what his increase was back in Genesis 28-22. And then you see down at the end where uh, Yaakov is complaining about his wages being changed ten times. So, you get that parallel of the ten. Uh, he came in with nothing. He's leaving with a lot. Yet in the in the interim, you could see that he was being tested with this continued changing of the deal again and again and again. And like we saw in earlier passages here in Genesis, that you you get these repeating patterns. They're not always the same things that happen each time, but you have the rhyming of what has happened before, the hints of what has happened before, and also the amplifications of what happened before. So, you see in the next section down of this parallel, uh, the beginning part of our passage in Genesis 29, the first three verses there where Yaakov is encountering the three flocks at the well. You see that you also, at the end, when now, instead of Yaakov having no flocks and coming in and being sort of penniless, now it's Yaakov who has, his flocks are increasing. And the separation of the three days between them, I could say, is the underscoring that this is not something that's a funny business that Yaakov is undertaking, but this is truly something that is providential, that, it, that heaven is undertaking with this. And the uh, next parallel we have in Genesis 29-21, where he's saying, you know, give me my wife. That case is like Rachel. And then at the end, in Genesis 30, 25 through 26, you know, he already has the wives. He already has the children. Now he's saying, hey, <laughs> at least go with those deals. I've, I've worked here for, the four, uh, here for the 14 years for, for both of them now. I wanted Rachel, you gave me Leah, now also I have Rachel, now we've got the children too, now, you know, let me go. And you see, even in that deal with that they uh, have the, the covenant later on, you still see Laban having a tough time letting go that, you know, okay, you know, saying all this is mine, but um, I really could have killed you because you just left uh, on and stole from me, but I've been warned uh, that to not say anything bad to you and to let you go, to acknowledge, hey, this is an act of heaven in this regard. Now, we get to what you know, could be a key, um, the, the crux, the crossing part of this particular pattern, the, the center part, the chiasms or the atbash structure of the literary with these parallels between the beginning parts or other sections in them, the parallels that keep going toward a center theme, that that expressing perhaps maybe what the 
the uh, a key understanding or a good takeaway from a particular passage might be you have the uh, Rachel's shame being bypassed in in front of this Osef, in this case, in front of the gatherings, because Laban is going to be having the wedding feast supposedly for Rachel. But he calls these people in to celebrate, but it's actually going to be for Leah. So in this sense, you have the the interesting uh, ju- juxtaposition, perhaps, of shame of being confronted in by a gathering of people and then at the ending part of this parallel down in genesis 30 verses 22 through 24 you see that she has the consummation of her desire to have children with increase and so you know yosef being translated as as increase but the interesting aspect that we have here is a little bit of a hebrew play on words because um osef comes from a verb that means to to gather and uh yosef is also the idea of to add or to increase so you have the interesting aspect of uh, rachel being shamed uh, in front of a gathering of people that hey you know you were supposed to be married but no you were not married leah was actually married then the parallel of it you see that god gathered and there it again is the same hebrew verb the asaf that god gathered rachel's reproach and then gave her yosef so interesting little play on words there. So you're like, okay, well, what is the whole point of saying that the Rachel shame and then her shame is then rolled back uh, being the desired one now uh, and that the, the shame, the embarrassment of not being the one uh, initially picked is now being rolled back and now she's been given children. Because you see the interesting play that... Uh, the the battle between the sisters, the battle of the babies, you know, Leah said, uh, maybe it, it's really heartbreaking because you hear each time she's saying, maybe now my husband will, will love me. Maybe he'll actually want me because I am giving her children. And then you see the interesting play there of Rachel being childless. She was the one who was wanted yet she does not have the children. Leah was the one who is unwanted, yet she is given the children. And then till later on, you have um, Rachel only having two children, the second of which is the where she dies in the process of giving birth. Uh, we're going to counter that down in Genesis 35. So the very interesting play that we have here of where is Yosef's role in this. Now, perhaps what we could be seeing is a prefiguring of the role of Yosef. That Yosef, um, just like we saw with Yaakov as being the ladder between heaven and earth, then you see, you know, Yosef, the role as we're going to get into in Yosef's life, which takes up a huge chunk of the, the rest of Genesis, that you see his role being this the one who uh, delivers Israel, but in, in an interesting play, 
on the, the concept of deliverance, you could say he almost delivered them into bondage because, yes, he delivered them from the, the great famine that was going to come, but he also uh, put them into a place where they would be later on when the, the pharaoh, the, the leader of Mitzrayim, came up. He did not have this connection to Yosef, did not have this fear of the Lord that he got, you could say, by extension through Yosef. And so thus, thus he enslaved uh, Israel. But then you have the handoff of the a few generations later with Moshe being the one who was going to then lead them out. Yeah, yes, comes from different family. You have with uh, um, not being from the same mother, but the family of Levi then coming out. <laughs> and it's, it, it is interesting how you have then the, the, um, the first son, as we'll see later on in our next passage, that the, you could say the favorite son uh, becomes uh, a deliverer into the house of bondage then you have a descendant of one of the you could say troublesome <laughs> sons uh from levy you know because shimon levy seemed like to be quite the uh, destructive uh, wrecking crew as we'll see in the next passage coming up that from them comes actual uh deliverance uh, leading out and then also from the family of Levi, you come with the priesthood, so the deep connection with God again. So very, very interesting how you then have the descendants of uh, of the sisters bringing the family back together again, and you could say also healing the world and bringing the world back together again by making the family continue on further. So that is. Uh, one of the little things we're going to be looking at is, and it's a great jumping off point to where we're going to go next and where we're going to focus most of our time here is in the Haftarah for this particular passage or the parallel passage, which comes from uh, Hosea or Hosea chapter 12. The, there's also an extended a uh, reading of the Haftarah goes back to chapter 11, but chapter 12 kind of encapsulates a lot, pulls in a lot of the themes that you see in this particular passage. It brings in the motifs, the patterns that you see forming in the passage that we're, we're looking at today. And then you see it also brought forward and uh, we'll, we'll see the, the full resolution of this in the time of Messiah and Messiah's followers and coming down to today, because there are some overtones of this that you see reflected in Revelation chapter two and three, when it talks about those uh, seven congregations, the seven congregations of Israel. So, we're going to be going to Hosea chapter 12, uh, starting here in, I'll uh, start in verse, verse 12, and then uh, chug on through, uh, well, the, really the end of Hosea here, to, to uh, pick up the, the theme that we're going to be looking at. 
Now Yaakov had fled to the land of Aram, and Israel worked for a wife. And for a wife, he kept sheep. But by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel from Mitzrayim, and by a prophet, he was kept. Ephraim has provoked to bitter anger, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and bring back his reproach to him. Then Ephraim spoke. There was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did wrong and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made through silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore, they will be like the morning cloud and like dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. Yet I have been uh, the Lord your God since the land of Mitzrayim, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior beside me. I care for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they had became satisfied, and being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their chests, and there I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Now where is uh, where now is your king that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you requested, give me a king and princes. And I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him for he is not a wise son, but it is not uh, for it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Though he flourishes among the, the reeds, an east wind will come. The wind of the Lord coming upon the wilderness and his fountain will become dry, and his spring will be dried up. I will plunder his treasury of every precious article. Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword, their little ones will be dashed to pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the works of our hands. For in you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. 
He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout and his beauty will be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will rise and will again raise grain and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. So, one of the key things that we're looking at here is a recounting of uh, not only the passage we just looked at, because you see that at the beginning, a uh, few verses of chapter 12 that we looked at versus, uh, you know, really uh, verse 12 is where it talks about Yaakov going to Aram and uh, for a wife, he kept sheep and that wife he was working for was Rachel, uh, yet Laban uh, brought in Leah in the process. But it is interesting as we're going back to the, to the account of it, how the sisters then say to Yaakov as Yaakov is asking them, well, all right, what do you want to do about the situation? You know, they, they interestingly say that he has consumed our dowry, so to speak. He's, he has taken up the um, Yaakov's labor and what, do they have to show for it? It is the blessing that was given to Yaakov. Uh, Laban is benefiting from it. Going back to this uh, particular thing, uh, in Hosea chapter 12, verse 13, it says, By a prophet the, the Lord brought Israel from Mitzrayim, and by a prophet he was kept. So, very interesting, as we talked about there, the, the, the holy handoff between these uh, descendants, descendants of Yosef and descendant um, of Levi. And this descendant of Levi being the prophet uh, Moshe. And more than just a prophet, because as we've seen, as we've gone through the Torah before, that the God, like with Avraham before him, talked with Moshe um, as it reflects almost like one talking to a friend. So, this is something that the other prophets, even the great prophets, really didn't have that that close connection like Moshe had with the, with the Lord. And as you see, moving on, you've got the Ephraim, uh, there being one of the the sons of Yosef. So even though Yosef was the the deliverer of a sort out of uh, out of uh, the the famine that was going to come upon the land that included uh, Israel and at least Egypt, that Yosef, in a sense, delivered Israel into a place where they would be bound for a while and then freed by the power of God, something that was told to Avraham uh, quite a long time before this time, that this would be something that would happen. Now, what you see here is that Ephraim, descendant, becoming a, a key 
phrase to describe the North, Northern Kingdom. So after the time where, <laughs> kind of sad when you think of, of uh, Israel, that there was really only a, just a very short time when there was a, a unified monarchy under uh, one king. And then quickly it went downhill into two separate kingdoms and warring factions, sometimes alliances between them. But the northern kingdom, as we see, had de devolved more quickly into the syncretism, the blending of the worship of the nations around them with the worship of the Lord even to the point of even forgetting the Lord in some cases. And you see that in this particular case here, where they, as it says here in uh, chapter 13, verse 6, as they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. They forgot me. One of the key things that uh, we have in the blessings that we have with the, with the, um, with the Shema is to remember where the blessings come from to, you know, when you've eat and be satisfied, don't forget who brought you into the land, who provided the land for you, who made this a land of rest and not to be just a land of war all the time, even though it did become a land of war. Why? Because they did not, followed the instructions totally and thought, well, okay, maybe the Lord didn't mean to throw everybody out. Maybe, you know, only a, a certain portion should be conquered. So thus the whole conquering of the land wasn't totally accomplished. So thus uh, Philistia became a thorn in the side, not only for hundreds of years, you might say even continues to be a thorn in the side for Israel and the land in general. But one of the interesting things that you'll see throughout this entire passage is this calling back of Ephraim, calling back to get rid of the idols, to get rid of the things that led the people astray, led them away from the one who gave them freedom to begin with uh, from the house of bondage there in Egypt. And then as you see here from also the time of the exiles and to the point where you see um, there in the end part of chapter 13 of Hosea, you'll see that it gets to be a pretty bad situation when the nation gets invaded. It's pretty horrific what happens to the people in the midst of, of in this invasion. And you see it happen then later on with the southern kingdom with the destruction of Yerushalayim and the terrible things that happen there. And then also happened again to Yerushalayim under the rule of the Romans later in AD 70. But chapter 14, you hear of the, the calling back, the calling back to, you know, um, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you, uh, take words with you and return to the Lord. And you see this picture of uh, the, the restoration of things, the rolling back of, of what was done before and what can be then done after all of the reproach is rolled back and taken away. It's a very interesting thing you see later on with the 
the prophecy, uh, I should say actually earlier on, because uh, Jeremiah uh, prophesied here before even the exiles, but you have that prophecy of that um, there in Jeremiah 31, we call it the new covenant prophecy in verses 31 through 34, where uh, that he would remember their iniquities, forgive them and remember their iniquities no more. And that would be because why? They not only remembered the words of God, but they also let the Lord change them. So from the inside, so that they would uh, know who God was, that they would know what his words are and they wouldn't just be something on stone somewhere else held in held in the ark there in the tabernacle but it would be written upon their hearts and you see at the ending part of deuteronomy that was the wish from the very beginning that this would be the words of god would be written upon the hearts that they wouldn't be far away somewhere else up in heaven or somewhere in the earth or under the earth that they would have to go somewhere to get them. But no, this would be something that would be close to them, even in their mouth. So that's why you see the, the great calling back to um, that they may present the fruit of their lips and the fruit of their lips would actually be what it would be um, not only blessings, praise, thankfulness for what the Lord has done, but also um, as Yeshua said, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the words of God are written upon the heart, what comes out of the mouth? What comes out of your deeds? What are your actions like? They are the words of God brought forward. So thus you see at the end of Hosea, um, you see the last verse there, uh, the last Part of the verse says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. So, it's, it's very interesting when you see that um, the, the picture being juxtaposed together. The righteous walk in the words of the Lord. So, they're walking their talk. So, the words of the Lord are in their mouth, they're in their heart, they're coming out through what they do, their whole way of life is structured and flows out of the words of God in them. But transgressors stumble in them. So, it's a, it's a very interesting picture then of those that are you know, not only stumbling in the words, but also stumbling through the words and stumbling because of the words. Which brings up a very interesting passage that the, the Apostle Peter brings up in his second letter, Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, where he, he touches on what that walking the talk looks like. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Yeshua our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. 
Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Or, you know, you could say agape, the, the true selfless part of it. So, what, what do you see here as the apostle is going over that this transformation, becoming partakers of the divine nature, a big uh, way to say that you are walking out the, the ways of God, you are falling in his steps. So, thus, you are becoming more like in the way you act, more like you know, the one who gave the words. And what does that look like? It's not just, uh, and we're talking about diligence here to do this continually in your faith, your trust in God. So you're starting at a basic level. Okay. I trust God. So then what does that trust in God look like? Where does that take you to moral excellence? Your behavior is going to be more righteous versus less righteous. You're going to be striving for the things that are righteous. And on top of that, striving for the way you behave, being towards the right versus the wrong, then, okay, knowledge comes up on on top of that. So, you're not only going to behave correctly, your knowledge of God will grow. You'll learn more about the why of what you're doing this. And on top of your knowledge, you're also going to be adding self-control on this. So, with this, you will start seeing that um, when it's talking about being having the words of God written upon your heart, these are the things that come out of you, then more of what you do will be self-controlled. You'll not only know what you're doing or why you should be doing it, but you also know that this is something that is just a part of what you do. And if you, you talk to people who are going through the various um, biblically-based recovery programs, you know, they'll tell you that that is a key part of learning to live differently, is that you see the problems coming, you see your particular problems in life, the particular pitfalls, the particular uh, temptations that you have, you see those things coming and you prepare yourself to fight them. You know, you, in a military sense, you'd say you have reconnaissance. You've got spiritual reconnaissance out there so that you know where your enemy is and where your enemy is coming. So you're not just blindsided when the enemy just shows up and uh, you don't have your defenses ready. You see the enemy coming and you prepare your defenses accordingly. So you know what your problem is. You see the places where you're going to be encountering that problem again and then you get ready for it. And why do you keep wanting to do this? It is because of this change that's currently happening within you and really throughout your entire life. So, adding to the self-control, you're having your ability to have your defenses up, you add perseverance so that when these waves of attack come and they don't just, you know, you've got like the big campaign that comes against you with the things that we fight against, uh, whether they be, quote, big or, quote, small, when they come against you, 
It's not like okay, we 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 got through the campaign. Now we just uh, just um, we just tear down all our defenses. You know, we um, get rid of all of our all of our quote you know weapons, uh, spiritual weapons, the things that we have uh, bulwarked ourselves. You know, we slack off in in prayer. You know, we slack off in the you know burying the word of God deep into our hearts, and then you get caught unaware again because our challenge, our challenge in life is lifelong, which is why uh, we see there in revelation chapter two and three, it keeps seeing again and again and again and again to him who overcomes what you get the crown, you get the name, you get the new name you get brought into the family that overcoming, but you have to start as it uh, is foretold there with the new covenant that you have to have your iniquities said no more. And, you know, as Yeshua said to, to the woman there in, in the gospel of John, he says, you know, go and sin no more. So the things of the past discharged out. So your life should then be to stay out of your house of bondage, to stay out of the, your proverbial Egypt to not go that way again, to not go back to the idols. Don't drag them with you. Don't you know, hide them, carry them along with you. You're going to start a new life. And that's what we actually see in this passage where you have then the uh, collection of idols and burying them, leaving them behind. So adding to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, you know, becoming, acting more like God, and with that, kindness toward other people that you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, whereas the full passage is, you know, don't hold a grudge against your neighbor, but you know, treat your, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And on top of that, so with this, you know, focus on other people and acting kindly toward other people, then on top of that is you know, love, the selfless love that you have toward other people. So, with this, um, it says, For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. Now we come to the flip side. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, will be abundantly supplied to you. So, as you see in the, the, the contrast of what we saw at the end of Hosea, you know, the ones who walk in the Lord's words, they move toward, you could say, that moral excellence. But the ones who decide to you know, go off this way, to go off that way, um, to not be really paying attention to what their life is like, they end up stumbling. 
because that diligence, the perseverance, the continuing on to overcome the old way of life, to stay out of Egypt, to stay out of the house of bondage, not go uh, snooping around there again, that is a lifelong task. So, one of the things from here is to uh, take a look at Revelation uh, chapter 2 and 3. We're only just going to hit some of the highlights, but one of the, the things, I'm sure you probably have noticed this many times before, but somehow it just dawned on me as we were, we were going through this passage here recently in Revelation 2 and 3. And of course, these are the messages of to the seven congregations. They're the seven congregations in Asia. These are you know, actual towns, actual congregations there. But as you go through them, you will notice you know, there's all kinds of different views on interpretations of Revelation. But one of the things I've found that is the most helpful is that just like what we've seen as we just got done with our section there in Hosea, that there are the references back to, there's the reference to the passage we just read from Vayetze. There's the passage that you know, we're going to be reading again, coming up relating to Moshe and the Exodus and going to the mountain and all these various aspects of it. When you see these patterns from the, the Torah and the prophets and the writings, when you see those hints show up in Revelation, it's like, okay, maybe that is a lesson here that those lessons before should be brought up again. And these lessons from the past that are brought through the Torah, the prophets, and the writings are things that for the day of the Lord are incredibly important. So, one of the things that you would, you would see in these letters, these messages to them, there are some of the congregations that don't have a problem. But, one of the things you'll see at the beginning parts of each of these messages is what is the introductory message before they get into what are their problems, what are their successes, you know, what is their judgments, uh, what is the, the judgment coming down upon each of these congregations. Look at the introductory message to each of them. For example, uh, to the angel of the church of Ephesus to the messenger of the congregation in Ephesus, write the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, that should give you a clue as to what the context of this message is about. So the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, the seven golden lampstands, so you're saying seven what we've seen from the beginning, a message of completeness, a message of, of reaching a goal, something that is made sure from the seven of Shabbat to the seven uh, that's a part of the word, the Hebrew word for oath, uh, Shabbat. In that, you get the pic picture of totality and surety. So, with that, you're saying, okay, this is the totality of the congregation. So, the one who is holding the whole congregation of the people of God, all of the congregations, the people of God, all the people of God, one who holds all of that is now telling you, 
one of the things that is told. You find it in verse 4. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. So they have perseverance. They've endured for the name's sake, yet they've lost their first love. What does that sound like? It sounds like Isaiah chapter 1. And one of the things you get from Isaiah chapter 1 that uh, has been sometimes confusing for a number of people for hundreds of years is where you have this strange statement where the Lord makes and he says, I hate your feasts. And then goes on to bring a condemnation against them. But when you read the entire bit of of, uh, the book of Isaiah, throughout all of it and the message of it, you're saying that what the issue is, is what's happening inside of the people. Uh, in a sense, they've lost their first love. Yeah, okay, they're, they're doing the things of, they're doing the things, they're bearing the name of God, they're f- following through with the festivals, they're following through with the offerings, they're keeping the temple running, but the who and the why of what they're doing has been lost. So that's one of those key lessons that we see in the midst of this, and we'll see it bearing out later on, that keeping this, uh, just like what we read in Hosea, and just like that passage there of, of Rachel, um, storing away and hiding the, the idols, that Laban certainly knew of the God of Avraham, but not exclusive to the God of Avraham. There was, you could say, very interesting that you get the picture of the covenant that, hey, don't take other wives from my daughters, yet he in his heart was taking other gods other than uh, the ultimate God, the creator of everything. So, that is the interesting picture, then you'll see this sprinkled throughout a lot of these messages to the congregations in Revelation 2 and 3, that be careful of the admixture in there. It's described as the uh, deeds of the Nicolaitans, the, the people of the destroyer, and also described of the, the sin of uh, Balim or Balaam. So, be careful of this particular insidious uh, creeping into the congregation because just like with uh, Bilam uh, bringing in the daughters of Midian to seduce the sons of Israel, you have kin of a sort because you're Midian, a distant kin of Israel. You think, oh, you'll let your guard down. Well, look out. Here comes uh, the key temptation that was going to drive a wedge between the people of God and staying true to the instructions that came down, hey, this is going to be the proper way to, of the proper way to live anymore. You know, this is not a hookup culture. You know, this is not and just grab the daughters of Midian. This is not the way the people of God are going to behave when they come into the land. This kind of insidious thing that will come in and one side looking like it's a friendly, but inside it's not a friendly. The, the 
so-called legend of the Trojan horse. You, know, you think it's a gift and then you don't realize that inside is your own destruction. So be careful of the things that are let in to the people of God, into the congregation of God, into each of our own lives, the things that we think are innocuous, but inside they truly are something that will take us away, distract us, lead us toward a different God, even though it comes in the wrappings of the things of God. That being a key lesson and a key warning that comes down to us through the passage of Vayetze, the passage that we just looked through in the Haftarah from Hosea uh, 12 and uh, 13 and 14, uh, through the Apostle Peter, and through Revelation, that the whole thing of uh, overcoming and enduring to the end is to realize what things in our midst may be taking us into a different direction, taking us away from God. So, with that, we come to the end of the talk here today. There are uh, any comments or questions? Yes, Larry, you have your hand up. Just as we went to the end of, of the just as you went to the end of the talk, it occurred to me that something that was brought along when uh, Jacob left um, uh, Haran, or nothing more Haran, it was uh, where Laban was. Um, Leah, I mean, uh, uh, Rachel brought along her father's God. Yeah. I can't remember anything about how that, how that ended. <laughs> burying them in the dirt, but I, I, I don't remember that about those, those particular things. And I don't, I, I don't know that anything ever transpired after about that. It just kind of ended there as far as I can remember. But that certainly seems like something unusual we wouldn't expect to, to, to see that happen, that she would bring along her father's idols. So I wondered if you have any comments about that. Hmm. Uh, no, no further comments on that. There's various ideas and legends of what happened to them, why she brought them, etc. But... Uh, comment regarding that topic to be fair as uh, the book of jo uh, Joshua points out that all of Abraham's family were all idol worshippers mm -hmm. and so those two ladies would have been risen raised sorry risen <laughs> raised in a idol worshipping household that was that's entirely correct life. so unlike Abraham when God said come out of you know leave your father's house Abram actually left his father's house. He left it behind. I saw my son earlier today as we're reading through the Torah portion said, Hey, uh, those actually, him, my daughter as well. So if, if, if Jacob had married those two women and left, like, you know, by Laban, go away, you know, leave it leave behind, they probably would have fared better in the form of, you know, would have been more separated from the idol worship, much like how, how, how Rebecca was. Rebecca. Right. Like literally left everything behind. It's gone. This is a whole new way of life. Then, then being still uh, in, immersed in the idol worshiping culture and town and way of life, and 
and all that stuff. It's kind of a messed up uh, sequence of events, but that's just kind of how it turned out that way. But yeah, so as far as, yeah, well, yeah, as my wife pointed out, but God said, you know, men lead your family and clean your wife. That's true, but you also get to filter out certain, you know, screwiness <laughs> that happens along the way. <laughs> I just don't think Jacob did a uh, sufficient, obviously, he clearly he doesn't do a sufficient enough job and 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 guiding his wives hey guys this is this is not how we do things yeah although you know dan you bring up a very interesting point uh, maybe it dawned on him at some point because of the whole thing of burying the idols under the by the tree there right. I, I, maybe it somehow dawned on him hey uh we fully haven't taken the whole family away from laban there's still a little bit of laban that's trailing along with us Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cause he, he clearly, he made that connection. Else he would have done that at some point. Yeah. Some point clicked in his head. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what he found. Right you know, the two gods or howdy gods you bought. Oh, Hey, look at this. Where these come from? Uh Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh Oh, because somebody had to write it down. Right. And I don't think she volunteered the information. Hey, Jacob, look what I got. <laughs> if I, were her, I wouldn't volunteer that information, but that's just, <laughs> but anyhow, it's kind of a, uh, uh, it's always a question. Who knows? Well, what always interested me was that he said whoever took them would die. And yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why with you know some of the various extended commentaries they say, well, that was a, a harbinger of her of her death was the fact that uh, she hid those things within her heart, so to speak. Mm. But. It's just speculation, of course. Yeah, it's just speculation. Yeah. But he also spoke those words over whoever took them was going to, would die. And which wife took them. Yeah. And and Pat brings up an interesting point because I was thinking about when, when I've read this over time is that it sure sounds somewhat like that that thing of uh the, the very interesting account you you see um you know later on where it says talking about the uh you know the the guy who pledges whatever then comes out of his house you know and then and then it's his daughter and he's like uh-oh yeah so yeah it's got a little slight shades of that in there mm-hmm. yeah watch what you're saying yes Yes, we try to teach our children that too. And I myself too, I have issues with it as far as you know, the curses. We get a clarity, guess what? Okay, God can hear that too. Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want him to hear that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yes, yeah, there's one point. Sometimes you don't even realize words we're saying are actually curses. And we just think, oh, yeah. being sarcastic or being just, no, you're, those can be curses too. Sarcasm is a, is a form of curse, and you can curse things. And God can hear those too, just as He can a blessing. Well, and yeah, you, you bring up a very interesting point, Daniel, um, about you know, in, in Hebrew, uh, you know, Baruch could be a blessing or a curse, depending on the context of how it's used. So that's where you get this very interesting thing that the Apostle Yaakov brings up in his letter when he's saying, out of the sound mouth comes blessings and curses. Right. So right. be careful. Be careful. Mm. It matters. Yes, Larry, you have your hand up. I was thinking it was also interesting that Laban was the one who actually um, uh, 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 
suggested the peace accord mm. covenant that they made because he was always considered the bad guy for for um you know tricking jacob into doing keeping the work keeping working for him but then at the end he actually made up he recognized the recognized his dream as being sent from Yehovah and followed it so he must have grown a lot in that little segment there you would hope <laughs> actually that's an interesting point uh, i think yeah it, make, it does make some sense because early on when jacob first shows up to laban's house to of course tells him the whole story and laban's his reply is surely you're bone of my of my flesh you're, you're just yep. me <laughs> you're just handed you're you're you're, you're underhanded activity <laughs> like, no. there's obviously lots of similarities clearly we must be related um but then later on, of course, uh, he he he's Jacob. Obviously, learns the value of what through the whole through his sheep as well as with Leah. Those mm-hmm. who are the less desirable ones are actually not necessarily the worst ones, or actually frequently the best ones or better ones. And Laban kind of also growing a bit in that too. So yeah, I think it's fair to say Laban grew some yes in this experience too. And and that's a that's a great thing that you see across this whole passage is growth. Yeah, growth, growth. Although you know, sometimes I was thinking, well, uh, Laban went downhill between you know, <laughs> where, yeah, with the uh, the the first the first encounter with the uh, with the family, yeah. and just like, oh, all right, here here you uh, <laughs> go on. <laughs> Although I, I I think your your point is well well taken about um, the first encounter uh, <laughs> uh, with you know, with Rivka on that was like uh, they tried to delay him but Eliezer was like no I got to go now yeah. and it was that was probably very private providential to like get out fast right <laughs> get get out fast and. Well, my wife out, but Abraham sent him there to begin with. So clearly, there's something there that was going. Obviously, uh, uh, Abraham was around a whole bunch of idol worshippers too, right? Worse, probably human sacrificers also. I don't know, but you know, it's bad. So he sends somebody out there. But yeah, I think you're right that don't stay there very long. <laughs> get out quickly and take what you can get and run. Uh, unlike Jacob. And he, and he told his, 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 his servant, don't bring Isaac back there, whatever you do. Um, and told Jacob, okay, but on the other hand, Jacob, you have 20 years. Uh, you, you're good at, no matter how hard you try, evil will rub off on you, no matter how good of a person you are, and especially when you're immersed in it all the time. It's, 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 what was that question? A good question. How does good ever oh. win if, we know, if evil always rubs off on you? Well, I have a question now about Jacob's 20 years. Do you think God had a part in that to keep him from his brother because his brother was so angry with him stealing his birthright? So maybe it was a protection for Jacob during that time for his brother to have time to cool off? Yeah, because you can see when we get into the next passage that uh, Esau changed as well over that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very, very interesting. So you can either either stew in your own um, your own anger and revenge, or let it go. But that would not have happened had he grabbed 
her and you know if he'd gone back immediately i doubt if it would have had that same outcome hmm. interesting but i also well, it, go ahead i was gonna say i think god played a part in that too i mean he has he can change things or move people or take people away and i i just always i mean i looked at that and i thought well Part of that might have been for Jacob's protection because God had his hand on him from the beginning. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it was also for the uh, the great filling up of the you know the the wealth you could say of Yaakov. You see a similar sort of thing happen when the the whole family ends up in Mitzrayim later on. Is that definitely filled up the the wealth of the family? went down as a small number and come back as a big number with all kinds of wealth and gold. And as they say, they plundered, <laughs> plundered Mitzrayim, just like, get, get these people out of here, destroying the whole country. Yeah, it's an interesting concept uh, in that. So Jacob, obviously as, he, as a youth, always wanted, uh, always wanted the best. He mm. strove to get the best. He wanted the best birth, he wanted a birthright. He wanted the best. Birth, mm-hmm. but everything was the best. And he, 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 thought he could short circuit to treat it, to, to get it. Well, those things you have to earn and to work for them. They're not, they're not given to you, but he has to work for them. And so in Laban's case, he had to work, not he, to work for the best, he didn't get it. And initially, he got Leia first. Had to work some more to try to get the better, but to find out, shoot, the better, better wasn't actually the best because Leia had more kids. <laughs> it was actually better. But on top of that, even Israel, when they went out of Egypt, as you pointed out, they go down there with nothing, with virtually nothing. Um, and they are given the best of the land initially, but it's not their land. They're just allowed to live there. But they want the best, you to work for it. Okay, well, how do you get there? Well, you slave for it. And then you get the best. But you actually have to work for it. You may want the best, you have to work for the best. You, don't, you, want, you can't short circuit or, 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 or uh, uh, bypass, yeah, pull some strings to bypass the method of getting the best. You have to work for it. So in Israel's case, for how many hundreds of years they were there, they worked as slaves. But eventually, after earning it, then they got the best of Egypt. Interesting. Hmm. Of wanting, wanting something and then actually having to get it are two different things. Huh. Yeah. That's true today, too. Yep. But don't tell the snowflake generation that. What? <laughs> yeah, do Snide remark. For, ignore me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I can hear that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Larry, you got your hand up again. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I keep thinking of things that. Um, what we you know we always we always love Rebecca so much. I mean Rachel so much because she was so pretty and that she's the one that Jacob really wanted. But by the at the end, um, Jacob was buried with Leah, and she's the one that. And Rebecca did some things that, if you look at it carefully, I think some things are quite questionable. When 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 he went in to Leah, well, where was Rachel? I mean, maybe she was, in the women in those days didn't have much power, so maybe she couldn't tell him, but she must have been complicit, or at least she knew what was happening because she was where she was and Leah was in there. So I'm wondering, I mean, I've always thought about you know, very of course, my, my named my first daughter after her, and uh, 
But after I read this again carefully, I was thinking, well, her character, she had a few character flaws, I guess, too. Of course, everybody does, but right. me mostly, more than anybody. But she, <laughs> she um, you know, she's right. not the little princess, perfect little princess that I always thought she was. Well, but you have to remember in that day and age that if she had done that, you know, you're at the mercy of your father or whoever is taking care of you. Women did not really have a way to make a living, particularly. That's true. Maybe that's why she had to steal her father's gods. Because maybe they're made out of gold. No. All she was going to do was melt them down and give them, <laughs> the <big. laughs> give them to the poor. Uh-huh. No, she probably stole them because she wanted them and she wanted to take them with her and she didn't know what she was going into. You know, she was going to a strange land that she'd never been to before. And after being married for, you know, and, and if you really read about what their, you know, what the relationship with her sister and, and the maids and, and not having children, there was a lot of competition between them. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, and thinking that, you know, if you didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, which they didn't, obviously, or she wouldn't have taken the idols, she probably took those because she thought she would, she must have had some faith or trust in them, even though there was nothing to trust in. I imagine the past 20 years, she prayed to those idols. I would think so. That because be her, her habit. Yeah, she really. That's how she was raised. Yeah, she yeah. All the blessings she has, she would give credit to those idols for for it. Yeah, or which whichever one was delegated that <laughs> yeah, responsibility, the yeah, fertility gods. <laughs> Obviously, that one wasn't listening. Yeah, so. Well, if there's nothing else, we'll close things out here today. But, you know, one of the key things to, to remember is uh, leave your old life behind. Because, yeah, if you bring aspects along with it, you, you can never really tell where those uh, remainders will lead you or lead you away from. So let's close them. Yep. Yep, you got to un unhitch that trailer from... All, all your baggage. Got to leave the baggage behind. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Boy, you can just uh, extend that metaphor out into oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for giving us these warnings and reminders from your words and we just ask that you continually change us and transform us into the people you want us to be to leave our old life behind and grow closer to you in the process and take the knowledge of you into the world we thank you for all that you've done for us in the name of your son yeshua amen You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. 
That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel dot info. Hallel.info.